Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Use of SEC enforcement power, but because we're talking about workplace culture, it is something that should be high on the radar screens of corporate compliance officers. That was Matt Kelly. I'm Tom Fox. Welcome to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the only podcast to take a deep dive into a compliance topic each week. Compliance Into the Weeds was recently awarded a Communicators Award for the best co-host of a compliance podcast. In this episode, we take a deep dive into the recent Activision Blizzard settlement with the Securities and Exchange Commission for the company's failures to alert investors to its toxic culture. This case has a lot of implications for the compliance professional, and I know you will enjoy this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. First, quick message from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox and Matt Kelly back for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. In this episode, we're going to take up several different topics. We're going to start with an SEC enforcement action involving Activision Blizzard, try to tie it into a recent court case by the Delaware Supreme Court and perhaps even some of the DOJ pronouncements from 2022. And then Matt's going to have some late-breaking news that we're going to be able to add. So with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome, Matt. Hello, Tom. It's good to be here. So, Matt, you want to set the stage for the SEC enforcement action? Yeah, sure. So this happened against uh, Activision Blizzard, the video game giant currently kind of sort of trying to be acquired by Microsoft, although that uh, deal is currently being challenged on antitrust grounds. But this happened, this SEC enforcement action, it was announced last Friday, $35 million that Activision will be paying to the SEC for uh, to settle civil charges that the company's disclosure processes and controls relating to corporate culture, aha, compliance officers, think about that, that its compliance uh, procedures related to corporate culture were um, ineffective. And therefore, the company was not capturing enough information about worker complaints on corporate culture that could then be analyzed by the company's disclosure committee and disclosed to investors. That was the SEC's rationale, um, and that therefore the SEC decided this would be a violation of um, Activision's disclosure obligations. And all of this stems from 
Activision's now fairly well-known problems with sexual harassment that uh, blew onto the scene in 2021. That is when California regulators filed a lawsuit against Activision Blizzard alleging a long-term pervasive frat boy culture that basically let sexual harassment against female employees run rampant. That case with the California regulators is still being um, tussled around in California courts, but Activision did settle charges from the EEOC last year, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, basically agreeing to implement a suite of reforms around its harassment uh, issues, paying $18 million in uh, civil penalty. Now we have this $35 million civil penalty where the SEC basically said, you, Activision, were not tracking enough data about your problems with workplace culture, so you could not disclose the proper risks or proper information about risks to investors so they could evaluate whether they want to invest in the company or not. Um, that's how it all ties together. It is a, a rather intriguing uh, use of SEC enforcement power, but uh, because we're talking about workplace culture, I think it is something that should be high on the radar screens of corporate compliance officers. Matt, I have to yet one more time read the response of then CCO Francis Townsend <laughs> after California regulators filed their suit, which you've cited in your blog post, quote, the lawsuit presented a distorted and untrue picture of our company, including factually inadequate, excuse me, inaccurate, old and out of context stories, end quote. When that statement was made, uh, I thought we should certainly nominate Townsend for uh, whatever the equivalent of the compliance raspberry is. Uh, I thought that was well worth a Razzie. Turns out that uh, she, the statement went out over her name, but it was actually written by the company's CCO, former CCO, Bobby Kotick. So I'm not sure that lessens her Razzie nomination. But in addition to this unbelievable statement, the company then proceeded to do an internal investigation and found no problems, no problems with culture, no problems with sexual harassment, um, just an amazing set of facts. I thought the SEC enforcement action tended to show that that internal investigation was at least ineffective. Any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, thank you for bringing up the uh, internal investigation, which that was released in 2022. And it was astonishing because basically this board commissioned investigation said, nope, these allegations are not true. And uh, it was, I don't know, I guess it was the big media that blew it up or something like that. But the board absolved itself of uh, any problems with corporate culture. Uh, Ms. Townsend didn't do the company any favors when that statement went out under her name, basically saying these allegations were fabricated it uh, were outdated. Employees were incensed. There were walkouts and whatnot. Francis Townsend has st since stepped down from being the chief compliance officer at Activision. Uh, she is still a senior advisor to the board as they're trying to get their big merger with Microsoft over the finish line. Um, these days, 
the company is investing more in hiring chief uh, ethics and compliance staff, building up its ethics and compliance apparatus, trying to address workplace culture, which would be a funny thing to do if you thought you had no problems with your culture and that all the allegations weren't true. For the record, in this most recent SEC settlement, Activision neither confirmed nor denied any of the facts uh, alleged in the SEC complaint, but nonetheless did agree to pay the $35 million fine, also agreed to that EEOC settlement last year. I don't think anybody really disputes that there are some issues in workplace culture that Activision has been trying to go through and resolve, which is good, but we do have this question now about how do you as a company assure that you have the right information systems to stay aware of problems in the corporate culture. And the reason why this is an SEC disclosure issue is because Activision Blizzard, like many companies, and in particular, like just about every technology company, they disclose as a material risk every year in the 10Q and in the 10K, um, they always say, one of our risks is that we need to attract and retain the best talent, and we might not be able to do that. Well, if your culture sucks, then maybe your employees won't stay, and maybe you'll be plagued by high turnover, and maybe that would exacerbate the material risk that you have disclosed about you need to hire and retain the best and brightest. How can you do that if you have a frat boy culture and one gender in particular is, keeps on thinking this place is a terrible place to work? That's the issue. Um, I will try and circle down to exactly what the SEC had faulted uh, the Activision for. Um, Activision, you know, this included lacking controls and procedures among its separate business units designed to collect or analyze employee complaints of workplace misconduct, that they didn't have controls and procedures to gather all that data. As a result, complaints related to workplace misconduct were not collected and analyzed for disclosure purposes. So that is what the SEC was saying. It was the weak spot here. Activision should have had enterprise-wide procedures, systems to be able to collect all this data about worker complaints on culture and then be able to understand, well, should we disclose this in our 10K or 10Q as a material risk or not? We've already said this is a material risk in the abstract. What else are we supposed to put in there? But they didn't have that data to let the disclosure committee think about it. Um, it's a bit esoteric, but uh, let me see. I'll try and read through this again here. By lacking sufficient information to understand the volume and substance of employee complaints of workplace misconduct, Activision Blizzard's management was unable to assess related risks to the company's business and whether material issues existed that warranted disclosure to investors. Um, or were those disclosures to investors, were they fulsome and accurate? Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because very clearly chief compliance officers would, I don't know that they would always be in charge of workplace complaints about culture. You could make the argument that this is HR's purview, but the SEC is basically saying you, the company, you didn't have the ability to gather all of these complaints about workplace culture so that you could analyze them. Um, it is in particular, it's about harassment at Activision. That's the case we have at hand, but I could easily see that expanding or being a very versatile sort of a standard for other companies about 
corruption, about worker retaliation against being a you know kind of a terrible place to work, uh, being either an actual sweatshop like we might have seen with overseas sweatshops, or more of a metaphorical sweatshop like Wells Fargo when it had set impossible sales goals that employees couldn't make and they were trying to complain about it. But if you lack an ability to digest all of that and synthesize all of that data and then give it to management so they'll know how to use that to investors, now we're saying the SEC might take an enforcement action. They have taken that action. Matt, do you think this enforcement action occurred because Activision Blizzard listed employee retention as a risk factor so that that report was not accurate? Or could this have been independent if employee retention was not listed as a risk factor? That is a very good hypothetical that I'm going to try to avoid. Um, The fact of the matter is that Activision did disclose that, and it disclosed the same sort of material risk language over and over, that we have a material risk of being able to retain the best and the brightest. I think they said uh, retain and attract talent. I don't know exactly what the phrase was, but they used the same language over and over across a period of years when they must have known or they were going through some really tumultuous issues on the inside at the company because these sexual harassment issues were you know, tearing the company apart and the California regulators were investigating. Now, if the regulators in California had been investigating at least since the late 2010s and Activision was disclosing this well into the beginning of the 2020s, Activision management had to have known we have a sexual harassment complaint issue. You know, California is investigating us for this. But we're not changing our language in our 10K around the risk factors. It's an interesting question. If they hadn't mentioned employee retention, if they hadn't mentioned, you know, raise the specter that a good workplace culture to attract employees was an important thing, would we have this at all? I don't know. But like they did mention workplace retention. Um, And with a tech company, I don't see how you can... You you can't not mention that as a workplace risk because hiring for talent is such a difficult and overarching concern for technology companies. So that brings us to uh, the next discussion point, and that is the Delaware Supreme Court decision in in Ray McDonald's uh, dealing with David Fairhurst, the former chief people officer, and the creation of a duty of oversight for corporate officers. One of the obligations of this duty of oversight was based on two parts of a Caremark claim. Part one is if a red flag arises and it's not acted on. But part two is information systems. So I was particularly interested when I read and uh, your language on internal controls, and I even wrote down when you were reading it, does internal control under the SEC order equal or equate to an information system under the Delaware decision? And if so, does this requirement for creation of an information system give rise to a potential cause of action against Activision Blizzard or put some additional pressures on CCOs? I don't know. And like I have to admit, as I was reading through the Delaware decision last week and the week before, and Tom, we had discussed the Delaware court decision last week, This is the sort of case that I was afraid of. 
This is exactly it, where the Delaware decision said that corporate officers have a duty of oversight that includes building, taking a reasonable, making a good faith effort to implement reasonable information systems. That is part of your duty of oversight as a corporate officer. Now we have this SEC case, which expressly and clearly faults the company for not having information systems in place that, among other things, would, quote, understand the volume and substance of employee complaints about workplace misconduct. Like, that's an internal reporting system. That is something the compliance officer is in charge of. And here is the SEC saying, Activision, you didn't have a system in place that was sufficient for that. And now we also had the Delaware decision the other week saying, this is part of a corporate officer's duty of oversight. I think that what the SEC and also the Justice Department with its CCO certification requirement, we have them on one side and we have the Delaware decision on the other side. These cases can't be taken apart from each other. You, you, the compliance officer, you are stuck between these two forces. I originally was going to say that they are like parallel tracks moving along down the path, but they're not really parallel. They seem to be converging and squeezing compliance officers because, yes, you could have liability as a chief compliance officer. That is expressly what the Delaware ruling said the other week. And here we have this issue from the SEC where it says a system that very clearly could be under the domain of the chief compliance officer. It wasn't working effectively. And that's a fault of the company. <clears throat> so if you string these two things together, I think it does raise the idea that maybe if you run a poor compliance program, the chief compliance officer might get sued by shareholders. Somebody show me how this doesn't add up that way. I'd love to hear it. <coughs> well, I think it is more converging uh, than trend tending to converge. I think this is directly uh, all coming together to put more responsibility, particularly from the language from the Delaware court that equated the CCO as the only other person who had company-wide responsibility in addition to the CEO. And so even if this was viewed as an HR issue, I think the CCO under that Delaware court decision would have responsibility for this. And I would hope that CCOs would begin to look at the material risks their corporations may have listed in their 10Ks because there may be liability for that. And beyond that, uh, what information systems do they have access to or more importantly, don't have access to? You know, I, I think there's a lot to that. I think that's right. And, you know, would a shareholder lawsuit along these lines progress very far? I'm not clear on that. I don't know enough about Caremark standards and Delaware corporate law, but it does seem to me at the very least this is a very strong argument that you know the shareholders could demand some discovery and get access to the books and records right there. That's a pain in the neck for the company. And I mean, you're already on the back foot, but at the least, it seems reasonable that shareholders could start to say, well, we'd like to see what the chief compliance officer was doing. We'd like to see what the minutes were. We'd like to see if the chief compliance officer was raising these matters internally and was he or she stifled or ignored. And those are the kind of issues that I think are going to start to come fast and furious. Um, oddly enough, uh, just the other day, the World Wrestling Entertainment Company, which is a publicly traded business. So 
their now disgraced former CEO, Vince McMahon, he is coming back to be CEO. Uh, and so they had filed their quarterly earnings statement. I think it was actually their 10K report that was filed just last week, where they disclosed in the 10K a material risk that Vince McMahon returning as CEO might be a big mess. I don't remember their exact language, but they did say that this could be poorly received by our audiences. I'm still just astonished at the idea that you have to disclose that the mere existence of your CEO might be a material risk to the company because nobody trusts the CEO. That's a problem. That I like. How are we there, WWE? Who thought this was a good idea? Um, but you know, I can see that opens the door. Then what happens if there are repeat offenses? And our shareholders going to start to sue about this. What if there are complaints among employees about Mr. McMahon's behavior? I don't have any reason to think that is the case, but he is not a very good poster child for a, a behavior above reproach of CEOs. So you get into this weird world where you have to disclose more that ethical conduct could be an issue because if our corporate culture looks bad, we might not have employees or third parties wanting to do business with us, if that's the risk you disclose, then suddenly all of this stuff about how are you tracking data to analyze that risk, that becomes very germane to what you're putting in the 10K, SEC enforcement actions, uh, potential shareholder lawsuits. Like this is where it's going. The uh, Now maybe let's see if we can take this back and tie it more directly to CCO certification. Because the certification requirement is at this point limited to CCOs whose company has gone through an enforcement action and there's a DPA or other settlement agreement in place. Um, but now we have the SEC uh, saying the information system has to be in place, although they term it appropriately as controls. We have the Delaware Supreme Court putting potential liability on a CCO if no information's in place, it seems to me the DOJ could make a not very far step now saying, well, this is just following other jurisdictions. And we're now going to put some additional certification requirement on the CCO. And so we've almost got a self-fulfilling prophecy, which started out as as narrow a CCO certification as you can have, um, may lead to some additional obligations and put real pressure on CCOs going forward? I, I mean, possibly, yes. Uh, the law of unintended consequences is far-reaching. So none of that, I, I'm never going to say, no, that's not going to happen. Lord knows where this could take us. But I do think that the more you play that out, the more some companies would entertain the idea that, well, then shouldn't we integrate the general counsel and CCO into one person? Because the general counsel already is a corporate officer. Generally, they already do have DNO insurance. And, you know, we can be much more savvy about the legal risks that we may or may not face. This could wind up actually hurting the idea that I support that the general counsel and the chief compliance officer should be separate roles. And I think it also kind of weakens the Justice Department's position because the Justice Department, too, I am sure, generally wants the CCO to be separate from the general counsel. That's not ever been specifically and expressly said as formal guidance, thou shall do it, 
but it's clear that that's what they would generally like, and it's absolutely what they want in a corporate resolution. But we have all of these other forces that do affect actual compliance officers and actual companies that, you know, the Justice Department, the SEC, and the Delaware court, it's almost like they all don't remember that the others exist. Well, compliance officers have to remember that they all exist. They all, you know, the sum of their pressures is greater than, or the total pressure is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, I don't know what the right answer is, but certainly I think that chief compliance officers asking for DNO insurance is not at all a far-fetched or unwise idea any longer. There are some real ways that you could face liability through no fault of your own. Uh, when we open this podcast, we promised our listeners some breaking news, and we have some commentary by SEC Commissioner Pierce. You want to tell us about that? Well, so this is a statement that Commissioner Hester Pierce, or Hester Purse at the SEC, that she published uh, allegedly on Friday. It's dated from last Friday when the uh, decision came down. I didn't see it posted until today on Monday, but she basically does say that she does not support this idea. Um, that's not entirely a surprise because Commissioner Purse is the resident libertarian on the commission, and she does put out a lot of thoughtful analyses from that point of view. Um, She did point out that this is a slippery slope that could lead to all sorts of enforcement actions for disclosures that investors might not necessarily have thought that they needed, that investors want, or that investors wouldn't know what they're supposed to do with. Um, I, I'll try and quote from some of the, 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 her statement right here. It is difficult to see where the logic of this order stops. When the SEC gets this granular, the limits aren't clear. If workplace misconduct must be reported to the disclosure committee, so too must changes in any number of workplace amenities and workplace requirements, and so too must any multitude of factors relevant to other risk factors. She's not wrong to raise that. I don't necessarily agree that all of what she says about, you know, you're going to have to disclose you've eliminated the the free in-house massage once a month. I don't think that's, you know, where this decision is going to take us. But she's not wrong to say that we need more clarity around what should be disclosed here. And in that case, it raises the point that shouldn't an SEC commission vote on this and have a policy about it and put it out for comment uh, rather than this being just taken by in the enforcement staff, and we have regulation by enforcement. it's I don't know that I fully agree with her, and on many issues, I don't agree with Commissioner Purse, but she's not wrong to raise these questions, and it's good that she does. Well, Matt, this, uh, I really uh, found it interesting that we've got these kind of series of announcements literally uh, over the past several weeks. We didn't even talk about the Monaco memo or the changes to the corporate enforcement policy, how that uh, kind of is on parallel slash intersecting tracks as well. But uh, looks like we're going to be able to talk about this a fair amount going down the road. I think so, Tom. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. I'm pleased to announce that Compliance Into the Weeds won a 2022 Communicators Award in two categories for the best co-host and for best business podcast. So thanks to all of our listeners who supported us for the Communicator Awards. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive into the compliance weeds. Finally, if you've thought about starting your own podcast, 
please contact me. I'd love to help you either uh, help you produce your podcast or put you on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Tom Fox. The award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>